Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa al-Aqibatu lil-Murtaqeen. Wa la udwana illa ala al-Zalameen. Wa salamatullahi wa salamahu wa la ashraf al-Ambiyai wa al-Mursaleen. Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla. Wa anta tajib al-hazna idha shida sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's wonderful to see you all again for the beginning of logical progression. It's been a long time. Alhamdulillah, our academic uh, break this year was a little bit extra because I had to uh, have it delayed slightly. But alhamdulillah, welcome you all to year five. And of course, as is our uh, our way, we like to start with the Quran with the Shaykhna Shaykh Abdul Ghaffar. Hafidahullah ta'ala. So I'll just pass it over to him and then we'll start. Assalamu <coughs> أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وإذ قال إبراهيم رب جعل هذا البلد آمنا وجنبني وبني أن نعبد الأصنام رب إنهم أضللن كثيرا الناس فمن تبعني فإنه مني ومن عصاني فإنك غفور رحيم ربنا إني أسكنت من ذريتي بواد غير ذي زرع عند بيتك المحرم ربنا ربنا ليقيم الصلاة فاجعل أفئدة من الناس تهوي إليهم وارزقهم وارزقهم من الثمرات لعلهم يشكرون ربنا إنك تعلم ما نخفي وما نعلن وما يخفى على الله من شيء في الأرض ولا في السماء الحمد لله الذي وهبني على الكبر إسماعيل وإسحاق إن ربي لسميع الدعاء رب جعلني مقيم الصلاة ومن ذريتي ربنا وتقبل دعاء ربنا اغفر لي ولوالدي وللمؤمنين يوم يقوم الحساب الحمد لله الحمد لله اوكي جايز اكمل خير سو ذات واز سم ايات ابون ذا ستوري اوف سيدنا ابراهيم عليه السلام اند اوف كورس اسماعيل اند اسحاق and uh, about the establishment of the prayer and of course the dua of Ibrahim salam to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help him establish that house for the sake of the prayer. And I want to mention uh, a few things uh, about that uh, as well in our introduction. Um, what, um, what I wanted to do first of all of course is to acknowledge uh, some of the reasons why we're here, still here, alhamdulillah, now, four and a half, well, five years later. This is our fifth year of study, and this is all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This tawfiq that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives this ability is not from any one of us or any, or any of the people who I will mention. 
It's only because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses those people and makes the way easy. Because there are many people actually who have some kind of you know, attempt or some hope that they will do something good. But it's not just that. You need to have been given some ability from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be guided and have the way made easy. So we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first of all. Uh, and then I'd like to specifically thank um, Al-Maghrib Institute whose original idea this was. And it is under their, uh, their sponsorship, it is under their management, it's under their technical expertise and their uh, general Islamic professional expertise that this class uh, is, is happening. We'd like to thank, of course, Chidal Masjid, which is my local masjid. It's our home masjid. There are many people around the world now that see it as their local masjid as well by the, by the Father of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by this amazing technology which allows these things to happen. We'd like to thank all the people who are involved in the internet that made it yani, happen and technology, and even Facebook will maybe even give a shout out to Zuckerberg as well because he allowed us to do a little cheeky little live video as well, so that's okay too. We'd like to thank, of course, the brothers and sisters from Prophetic Guidance, and you all know, uh, despite how much I uh, rib him every single day, Shazad, the Amir, is the one that we thank first and foremost for that, and then Bob's, and then Abu Dhar, and Nadif, and Widad, and everyone, and then specifically then the LP team as well, and you know that the LP uh, project which is a side project, a side or one of the projects of prophetic guidance, logical progression, that is. Because I, I have to do this because there are a lot of people who are, 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 um, are tuning in for the first time. There's 1,500 new people, just so that you understand the, uh, what's the word, the uh, demographics of how it works. If you remember, just for the interest of those who are new and those who, will, who might remember, we had originally for our first lesson, anyone remember how many? 9,000. 8,800 or something like that. 9,000 odd folks who started the first lesson. And I said, what did I say, 1%? I said, what, well, no, I said that I'd be happy if there'd be 1% of this, 90 people, isn't it? Yeah? Uh, that there'd be 1% at the end that would commit to it. Because 9,000 people is, is a, just a, a headline figure. It's what kind of people, you know, that, that go to a, uh, a conference or play a video. But we're obviously. Uh, we're not looking for that. We were looking for long-term study. We're looking for people, bring it down, bring it down. Down, 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 down. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be too loud in the masjid. Um, we were looking for, obviously, a much smaller figure of people who are willing to take it for the long term, right? And uh, even 90 people who take this kind of class regularly is amazing. Anyway, by we then did a call, the infamous call, okay, where we got rid of the people who were just flapping around. And so we're now around that couple of thousand people that take the class now regularly. They catch up uh, uh, on the lessons every week. And alhamdulillah, I mean, you know, it's difficult, especially we have many, many students who are outside of England. England is still the, the highest attended, right, in terms of people. But uh, uh, America... At the UAE, Singapore, Malaysia, even though it happens at crazy hours for them, like 4 o'clock in the morning for Malaysians and 3 o'clock in the afternoon for the Americans and so on. And that makes it very difficult for people to attend the, the live class. And so you can imagine that, that that's a challenge for them. But by the efforts of the LP team, by ensuring that the class goes up live, uh, the live class goes out so smoothly and then it's uploaded immediately and then there are notes that are established straight away and the podcast, so the majority of our students, they tune in the next day and then the next day and then they use it on journeys and they catch up on the weekend and subhanAllah, the best thing that I wish that I could share with some of you folks is just the amazing joy that you get when you meet some of these students 
when you go abroad and you're in any kind of city and they come up to you and they say, you know that I do LP, I do it with my wife, I do it with my family. We pause the, the lesson, we discuss every point and then we play and it's a teaching tool. And this is yani, the, one of the mercies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so I want to allow, I wanna allow uh, 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 or I'd like to uh, acknowledge rather that um, the LP team themselves, headed by Widat and the people who help her, the LP transcribing team, they're a fabulous group of people that work incredibly hard to ensure that these notes go out. And if you don't believe me and you think this is all rhetoric, I just ask you to click on the resources tab after this class is finished and you see all of the videos, the summary sessions, the PowerPoints, the reviews, the exam reviews, the transcribed notes. Open up one of the transcribed note sessions as well and have a look at how many notes we have. We have 2,000 pages of just text, which is completely full of the Arabic and English, hadith, translations, commentary, and everything. It's an unbelievable effort. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put all of this in the scales of the good deeds of all the people who are involved. I mean. And finally, I'd like to thank, obviously, those students who uh, are staying in there. And just, I know that now there's 1,500-odd people that have joined. But again, you'll see by the nature of things, just the nature of the dunya, the nature of the lack of discipline, that people will start to fade away. And that's just yeah, it's something that we have to understand and accept. And I want to say a few things about that, but that's something that should never dishearten us. Never dishearten us. And you should always remember, the students should always remember, that the deen is carried by very few people overall. There's a lot of fears and there's a lot of kind of, you know, uh, you know, hype around things. But when it comes to the end of the day, the people that you can rely upon, the people who put in the efforts are just a few, uh, small in number. And that's the sunnah of Allah, actually. When you look back to the time of the Prophet ﷺ, that was the same. When you look at, I was with the kids, we were watching some kind of, I don't know what I was watching, but it was a battle scene, and there was like a small group of people, and they were completely, you know, uh, surrounded by, by an army that looked at least, you know, three, four times that figure. And they were like, you know, oh man, this is completely... And they were, they were charging out. It was like, you know, they were, they were taking them on. There no, was no problem. They were just saying, Yallah, let's go for the victory. It was not Muslim. It was a factual thing or whatever. But the point was is that you know, when you see something like that, we, because we are now, and this is a really important point and a reminder that I want to give to myself and to everyone, we're living in such a time where secular liberalism and secular humanism is so dominant, okay, in the world. It's then, I believe, you know, you see that the, the religions, uh, that the Christians are the greatest uh, in number of the religious groups, 2 point something billion. Muslims are the next one, which is 1.7 billion or whatever, okay? And then it just, I don't know, Hindus and Buddhists and whatever, okay? And so therefore the world's largest religion should be Christianity. And the world's largest overall kind of uh, religion should be monotheism, or at least claim to monotheism, a belief in a God. Um, I personally don't believe that. I personally don't believe that. I, I think secular liberalism is the world's number one religion. I think the majority of Christians are secular liberals or secular humanists. And the biggest problem is that many, many Muslims are as well. And what do I mean by secular uh, humanists and liberal, uh, and, and liberal in that thought, modernist in their thought, that they are starting to lose touch with the spiritual theological nature of their religion, the theology of their, of their way of life. So God for them is a part-time uh, uh, project. He is not involved in everything that they do. And of course, Christianity was the first religion to be afflicted by this when Caesar decided to split church and state. 
And so once that religion is taken out, once that, yani, the real practical religion is taken out from the actions of the people, and it remains just a secular pursuit. So when you're at home, just pray. And when you want to fast, then fast. But don't let your religion become anything bigger than that. Don't let your belief make, become anything bigger than that. Don't let your belief in God start to give you ideas that you can take on the world, or that you can be someone, or that you can take, that there's a concept of barakah, for example. You know this idea of barakah? It is one of the most key uh, concepts under threat today. You see, because uh, we live in an empirical world, right? We live in a world where everything has to be proved. It's one of the best benefits, actually, that we gain from living in the West. A scientific, empirical nature that's taught to all of our children, that makes them good thinkers, challenge everything, which has many, many benefits. Many benefits. It allows many Muslims who are working in scientific fields and whatever to be the professional, uh, advanced, high-quality professionals that they are. Okay, in business to be critical and to be clear and so on. And it has a positive effect. But, but few people consider the negative effects. The negative effects is that when you take empiricism too far and then you don't start to see things in front of you, you start to then forget that actually as a Muslim, what you don't see in front of you is more important and bigger than what you see in front of you. This is what we call when we compare the alam al-ghayb and the alam al-shahada, the seen world and the unseen world, Right? We see what we see in front of us, but it is a fraction of what exists. We don't see anything from the makhluqat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The khalq Allah, the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is vast and limited. Everyone likes these you know, new type of Facebook videos or YouTube videos. You know when it starts uh, magnified in, then the camera starts to zoom out and it zooms out rapidly and it shows you how small you are and your city and then your country, then your world, then your your galaxy, then your this, that, and then universes and parallel universes and God knows what. And you start to see from these videos just how insignificant you are just in size. And that's just from the things which are jamid, those things which are not even uh, living. So what about the living world? What about the jinn? What about those that have been called jinn because they cannot be seen? What about yani, the the seven heavens. What about heaven? This is dunya itself. Tiny, tiny bit. Yeah, and what I want to say to you is that what you do not see, it, the belief in that is far bigger than that which you do see. Look at yeah, the most important things in your life. Okay, the most important things in your life. Right? What are they? They're the people around you in the world, the things that you have and your possessions. All right? Now value that and value your belief and your concern for that. Put a value on it. Now let's look at the things that you can't see which you believe in and you value. Let's put a value on that. Well, let's start with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most single, most important thing to believe in. He is the one, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The reason that we're alive and the reason that we want to stay alive so that we can please Him. Think about our religion and those that have gone before us and the angels and heaven and hell. And the reality, what we call the real reality of life. So don't be fooled into thinking that what you see in front of you is, is it. That is why when you live in such a world where secularism is so strong and empiricism as a way of life is so strong, that which you can't see is denigrated. That's why godlessness is so strong at the moment. Because as we go more and more in advance, and people become more and more confident with their abilities and their belief that they can do things and that they're in control, there's no need for God. And there's no need for the extra. And there's no need for the spiritual. Because it doesn't play any... Did it help me uh, develop medicines? No, it didn't. Did it help me get quicker and faster? No, it didn't. They don't make the connection. They all believe everything comes from themselves. So barakah, blessing, is unnecessary. It has no meaning for these people. Now that is starting to become now prevalent amongst Muslims as well. You will see, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Uh, 
There are people who feel embarrassed to talk about barakah. Imagine that you were talking in, a, in, a, in an environment, like a, a mixed environment of friends and uh, colleagues and professionals. Barakah would not be the immediate kind of uh, 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 concept or idea that you'd easily be able to explain or relate to. You would, you'd feel embarrassed, you'd feel awkward trying to explain that there's a force or there's this extra kind of you know, idea that adds something extra to what you're doing above and beyond my efforts and your efforts. It doesn't fit, it doesn't, it's not easily explainable. It's not something which makes sense, doesn't have an evidence for it, it's not empirical. It fails every single test that society throws at us. And Muslims start to then go on the back foot. That's why and listen to me here. That's why that when you start to see people who are in the public giving da'wah or, or speaking to their friends or even on Facebook or in their social media or whatever, heaven and hell as a concept is not spoken about so much. People are kind of, you know, they're embarrassed to talk about the, the ghayb to, to people because it's just so much now of a, yani, despised idea or, or a nonsensical idea that that which we can't see that which we cannot touch is not real. So in a time like that, in a moment like that, it becomes incumbent upon the believers to counteract that with a lot of strength and to express our belief in the akhirah, express our belief in the ghayb. And that's why subhanAllah, when you look at the, the da'wah of the Prophet Sallallahu they did not believe in certain aspects of the ghayb. They did not consider it possible that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would resurrect us. And that's, that's why they would say to the Prophet sallallahu that you're saying that these bones, yani, when they are crushed into dust, that it will come back up. Yani. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says exactly that's what's going to happen. Exactly that, it was, that is what's going to happen. SubhanAllah, if you look at the hadith of the one who did sin against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in Bukhari, and what did he say to his children when he, passed, when, when he was about to pass away? He goes, I want you to burn me into ashes and then spread them like all over the world yani, as far as you, you can so because there's no way that something is going to gather me up and then hold me accountable even though he had this idea that there was some accounting force afterwards yani, the fantastical and the extraordinary is not part of the conversation and we have to make it part of the conversation Muslims have to make the spiritual and the extra and the third dimension, call it whatever you want, the other dimension, we have to make it the core. Just like the Prophet ﷺ, he made it the core. You could see that not only would he directly respond, Allah would also respond by revealing the Quran. The Prophet ﷺ would refute them directly. And then when the Prophet ﷺ was making dua, either in the congregation or by himself, he would say specifically, This is an incredible statement. Actually, if you think about it, that the heaven is true, and the fire is true, and that the promise of Allah is true. And he would make these statements in a very affirmative way. And we have to do that as well. Our religion, believe me, okay, our religion is under attack. And it's not yani, under attack by the great Satan, by America, by Iran, by the Shia, by the X, by the Y, by Mossad, by 9-11 conspiracy theories, by... It's under attack by the, prevalent, by the prevalent culture that we have allowed ourselves to fall into. It is, it is under attack by our own ideologies collapsing, by our own way of thinking collapsing. And we have to respond to that in a very clear and strong way. We have to affirm the truth. We have to practice our deen as faithfully as possible and not allow secular liberals, not allow secularism, not allow empiricism to push us away. And that's something essential to every aspect of our identity. You know, it wasn't liberal. Uh, 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 listen, uh, when we 
allow this to pervade yani, our space. For when we allow it to, to ruin our, our, our way of thinking, it starts to affect you, not just your identity, but your acts of worship. And this is a class about salah, okay? And I want to just remind you a little bit about salah, because we've spoken about salah so many times, and I'll be covering this in, in detail in the, as we continue to teach for the Al-Maghrib, the double weekend classes for salah, and we, we mention this again here regularly as well. But I want to say something a bit different today. More and more, you're starting to see people allow their embarrassment about the spiritual side affect their prayers as well. More and more people, compared to even 10 years ago, I can make that judgment call because I'm the one who sees people who ask me a question about the prayer. So 20 years ago, so 20 years I've been in the game. And every year from the beginning of 20 years, there was questions that would be asked to me. Yes, and I can now, I can, you know, compartmentalize them in terms of five-year gaps, a five-year groupings or 10-year groupings. And the questions have changed. The people who used to ask questions back in the day about the prayer were mostly about specifically about acts of the prayer and how to do it correctly. The majority of the questions that I get today are about people trying to get out of praying prayers in certain situations. There is a clear that there is a, a weakening of our commitment. And there is an increasing of self-awareness and almost embarrassment about the way that we express our religion. And you know what? This is going to destroy us. It's a vicious circle. Okay, think about it. Now, everyone, when it comes to getting Muslims active, you play the Islamophobia card. And once they see it, they become really active, they share, they, they, they write about it. There was a woman who got attacked. There was, you know, there's racism increasing. Brexit has caused this worse. Trump is going to destroy the world. Blah, 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 blah. And yani, our idea of res- responding is through a kind of a lens, which is very much, yani, I, don't, I, I don't know, a political media approach, whatever. But people th- forget that the real response and the real solution, the long-term solution, is to increase your ibadah. To increase your ibadah. And I'm not even meaning that from the metaphysical sense, that increase your ibadah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in tansurullah yansurkum, which is, which is correct and in its place as well. Allah says that you support the deen of Allah, Allah will support you. So if we're not being supported, and we're being yani, crushed, and we're being ideologically ruined, and we're being physically killed and ruined as well, then it clearly means that we're not supporting the deen of Allah. Therefore, support the deen of Allah. Allah will then support you. And He'll make you strong. So that's it. the ayah is very clear. But I'll tell you something else as well. Put the ayah to the side. I just think of it logically. That if the people are seeing something as strange then why are you allowing that thing to remain strange? Make it normal then. And instead people are creeping into their shells. So when these people see a person who's praying and they shout at them and swear at them and whatever, whatnot, it's now not time for them to make sure they don't see another person praying for the next month, but rather that they see 20 people praying. More people praying, more places, more different ways, stronger, more confidently, anywhere where they want to pray, uh, in, within the, obviously the realms of reason and the realms of the, the law. And I mean the sharia I mean here. So you don't pray in a path, for example. You don't pray in the way of the people. You don't cause problems to them. You don't take liberties by saying to a person, you know, that's hired you, that, hey, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm great. You know, the guy will say to you, do you need any extra time or anything during the day or whatever? No, I need nothing, whatever, whatnot. And then suddenly he hires you, then you say, right. Actually, what I do need yet yeah, is prayer times and I pray my sunnah and I pray my nafad mm-hmm. and I, pray, I do my zikr. I need at least two hours a day to do that. That's taking liberties, isn't it, bro? Yeah? So, you know, you've got to understand that the system is, is clear. That our response is within sharia, within the law, and you increase to make something normal, uh, uh, normative. Our, our ibadah, our deen is not becoming normative. It's not the time now for people to shave off their beards and take off their hijabs, but it's the time for more women to put on their hijabs 
And for more people to hold their beards and for more people to practice their deen openly and for more people to pray publicly. And you know, that's the, that's the challenge. That's the challenge and that's the response. That's the response. And the salah itself, I want to advise everyone, there is no single more important act of worship in the deen, regardless of the political situation. So if we were living in, on a bed of roses, in the gardens of peace, in the, in the Islamic yani khilafah, a correct one, okay, before I get yani banned, right? Okay, then the salah would still be the most important act of uh, worship that you have. And if you are living in the fire and you're living in the war zone and you're living in under the most uh, political pressure and oppression, salah is still the most important act of worship that you will have. So that's a given. And you don't need to be reminded that. And I don't want to be, uh, you know, patronize anyone to keep saying, you know, I don't want to make this a khutbah. This is a fiqh class at the end of the day. All right. But again, a reminder for myself and yourself is that that's a fact. But I say specifically that in times like now, where really... We are thinking now, as opposed to the immediate thought of to pray, is now about can I get home and pray? Can I get home in time to pray? Is it permissible for me to combine? I want you to think about this. Yes, until last few weeks, obviously in, in, in a week or next week, the hour is going to change, okay? And so therefore some people are not going to be able to get home, okay? So they're going to have to pray where they are. And that's when everyone's nightmare starts, right? The winter, oh my God, the winter's coming, Right? It's going to kill us. We're going to have to pray two prayers at home, at, at work. How are we going to do it, right? Now, I am, and, and my, children, my children are here, and they can, they can uh, confirm this, that, you know, in the summertime, uh, like in England, in the summertime, you have like, I don't know, until 7 o'clock or something crazy to pray Zohar, sah? Yes? True or not true? 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock, whatever. So the last thing you need to do in lunchtime at school or at work is to do what? Pray Zohar, صح? enjoy your lunch, go out, enjoy the weather, and save on time. Absolute no-no. You see, we've got to change our mindset. Ignore the time and the fact that it's gone big. Okay? Ignore it. And I'll give you a number of reasons why you ignore that. You ignore it because the prayer is not just something that needs to be done and get out of, get, get out the way. The prayer has a function as well. In salata tanha anil the prayer has a spiritual benefit. It has an obligatory uh, right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's fulfilled. But it also has a practical physical aspect to it as well. It actually physically stops people from getting involved in fahsha and munkar. When a person is praying, he can't be doing evil, can he? I mean of the normative type. He can't be doing something haram at that time, can he? He might do it before, he might do it afterwards. But at that time, he can't, right? If the person's a drinker, okay? He's addicted to alcohol, Yes? And a person, he knows how important the prayer is. He knows that he can't pray whilst he's drunk. So at least that will then stop him drinking alcohol. If nothing else will. The fact that he knows I have to pray. It physically stops you doing haram things. From the most obvious point of view. Even for that five minutes when you say, Allah Akbar, until Assalamu Alaikum Rahmatullah, you're still stuck in a zone where you can't do fahsha and munkar. Also, when you are in that state, other people can't do fahsha and munkar with you. Someone's saying to you, right, let's go and get a drink. And they pop in, they see you in the broom cupboard, and praying. They'll say, oh, my man's doing one of his religious things, yeah, and let's let him go. They'll go without you, right? Okay? If, and then I'll, I'll, I'll put it a different way. If you are there in a scenario where you are a, 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 a person who prays, a person who, understand, who, who clearly towards other people who are observing, has a different level of ethics and standards and morals to the rest, they don't involve you in their pettiness and in their, in their whatever. It's not the same to go up to a bearded person and expect them to, for them to go, let's go and chat with some girls. Right? You wouldn't go up to the bearded guy. 
I'm being honest with you, completely fake, right? And you wouldn't go up to the, to the girl in hijab, who's yani, being modest and so on and so forth, all right? And say, you know, the, 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 the same. You wouldn't, yani, it's, it's, so the prayer itself, people who are religiously practicing, it, they, they themselves have an aura around them, which is from the barakah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is protecting you, which is helping you. So the prayer, just from a logical, from a common sense point of view, must be established. Every reason in the world, logical, spiritual, there for the prayer to be maintained. And that's all before what I just mentioned earlier, which is the political imperative, which is the social imperative, which is the anthropological imperative at this moment in time, where people are trying to demonize us and separate us, and they, they prey on the lone sheep. And we are that lone sheep, and they are the wolf. Well, guess what? They, the, the wolf does not prey upon a whole flock. It can't. So we have to support other people. You know, a lot of our deen comes back to these points. I've, I've mentioned this before in lectures, and I'll mention it again to you as well. When I say to my kids, I want you to pray in school, and I advise people who work, I want you to pray at work during that dhuhr time. It's not just as I just proved to you of its physical benefit and its spiritual benefit. It has a purification in, in it as well. Imagine that. You know that the Prophet ﷺ said that the prayer itself, it, it, it uh, uh, expiates the minor sins in between. So a person who's prayed Fajr during the summer at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he's got all the way through to lunch. I don't care whether you're working retail or business or X or Y. When you're working in the West or actually working anywhere in the world, all right, you're going outside, you're speaking to people, you are accruing sins. It's like a computer game. It's automatic, Yanni. Your exposure to the society outside, you are looking at things you shouldn't be, saying things you shouldn't be, thinking things you shouldn't be. And that's why the blessing of the prayer is something you should look forward to. Not saying, well, you know what it is, I'll just keep accruing, 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 and I'll just pick, uh, catch up the prayer at 5 o'clock when I get home. You should be dying to get to 1 o'clock so I can put my head on the floor and say, Ya Allah, forgive me. Allah, Ya Allah, forgive me. And purify that whole morning. Then, okay, then you've got a 4, 5, 6 hours of next year and nonsense to pick up, and then purify with the asr. Yani use the prayer itself in a real way. Believe in your prayer. Don't treat your prayer as just that got to get over and done with. Don't treat your prayer as something which is just a metaphysical. The prayer is real. Its impact is real. Its meaning is real. And then the final reason why, an example of keeping the prayer in the daytime, even though you don't want to, even though it's difficult for you, even though you miss out on going out to the park and having a picnic and sunshine, whatever, is that people become normalized to it. When, look, at the, look at the angle from a non-Muslim. Just look at it from his point of view. Here's this guy who says, I'm religious, I'm this, that, whatever. Half the pra- year he prays and half the year he doesn't pray. True or not true? That's what, that's what your teacher's going to think. Yeah, and he, you know, uh, Isa, he was in school the other day. This stupid monkey and she was, she was giving uh, a teacher. was saying to him, well, you don't need to pray actually. I, 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 you know, she's a religious studies teacher, subhanAllah. Wallah, religious studies. She goes, you don't need to pray in school. She goes, you can go and combine at home. You can go and combine. This is not, uh, not during lesson time. This is during the break time. She said that most of the year you see people don't pray. This is the religious studies teacher. This is the fool who is the teaching the children religion. Okay? So forget about, what do you think then of your miskin colleague or your miskin friend who genuinely at half the year he sees, you know, winter you completely stressed out and in summertime he sees you chilling. Yeah? I mean, he doesn't get this whole thing about the day being different and the length and the time and the sun and the shadow, which we spent the whole last year covering, by the way, yes? All of year four is all about the sun and this and that and prayer times, okay? And so, subhanAllah, even from a da'wah point of view, from normalizing your existence, from establishing your strength, 
okay, you should establish the prayer at, at its right time. This is one of the blessings of, of, of actually implementing the hadith like the Prophet ﷺ said. That the best of actions is as-salatu ala waqtiha, which by the, by the majority of the scholars means fi awwali waqtiha, in the beginning of its time. Even though it's permissible to delay, even though it's permissible to pray it later, especially in different madhahib, there's a lot of space to pray the prayer later. But it makes more sense for you to pray it there. And I'll tell you something else. You know when people get out of the habit? To get back into the game is not easy. I've seen it with my own eyes, experienced it myself, and I'm seeing people now as well. That they were finding it very difficult in the month of September to pray the dhuhr there. Because you know what? They're still used to praying dhuhr at home or outside the school. And I'm saying, listen, September and October should be a pure month of you praying dhuhr in the uh, work or in the school place. Not yani, delaying it until you get home. Because you get used to it. Because at the end of October, you're definitely going to have to pray that and your asr. Because you're getting home after maghrib. So I want people to change their relationship with the prayer. Change their attitude to the prayer. Recognize that the prayer works for you. It's not just some right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala random. Which has no connection to life itself. That's nonsense. This is you practicing your deen at a, a, a really superficial level. And not recognizing the actual value and the power of the, spirit, of the spiritual aspects of this religion. Okay, so that's a reminder to myself and to uh, everyone else. And I know that was a bit serious, and I know that we don't like to keep the class too serious, okay? Especially because tonight, Yanni, I'm in a very good mood. Uh, uh, the sisters, by the way, I just want to say, they bought absolutely nothing because they're useless, as you know, right? They try to make it out they're so big and, yeah? Okay, and someone got their bestie done, yeah? Okay, so Farah, Yanni, she was obviously, she got embarrassed by the fact that I found out that the sisters were not going to bring any chocolate. So we did that this time. And I just want to say, look at the difference between your celebration tubs, yeah? And, Yanni, yeah? Because that's, that's what you guys do, isn't it? Celebration tubs. Four quid at Tesco's, yeah? Okay, just want to say, yeah? Four quid at Tesco's. Three pound fifty. Three flipping pound fifty. They stocked off from last year. Yeah, multi-buy, buying them from the cash and carry. Yeah, we know that. It's okay, we love you, there's no problem. Chocolate is chocolate at the end of the day. The fit continues as long as the chocolate continues. But I just want to say to you, this is milk tray. All right? What did he say? The lady loves milk tray? What's it? What was that? Oh, because the lady loves, All because the lady loves milk tray. Yes. He's on it. I'm telling you. Mamu's on it. All right? And then there's a wrapped one, which I'm sure must be for me, to be honest. Okay? There's Thornton's. Ferrar Rocher, this is what all the people are missing out who are online, don't come, whatever, whatnot. Don't worry, the uncles are included, don't worry. Musalis are included, don't worry. So much we bought this time, okay? So alhamdulillah, I just want to say, I'm going to, honestly, I will threaten with death anyone who tells me the result of the Great British Bake Off. If you uh, check your internet, your phone, your iPad, if any single person I catch telling me the score of the game, I'm telling you, okay? Big death upon you if anyone, even because you see, I'm watching all of you, and I can tell in your eyes when you look at the phone and like eyes lit up. <laughs> Selassie won. Selassie is that his name? Is he gone? Okay, all right. Well, I'm a couple. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm always behind. I'm a couple of weeks behind, and I need to check the other one. Okay, but yeah, I don't want to hear football results. I don't want to hear anything. I just want just us to focus on the fiqh. Okay. And uh, what else did I want to say? Um, any other announcements? Anything? Everyone's all cool? Can we start the fiqh, Yani? Is that okay? Yes? Okay, good. We can get rid of the, the, the freeloaders on, online because they're just, Yani, just, you know, 
They're just in for the game, just sitting at home watching the football and they thought, oh, let's just play the live video. We're not interested in those guys. They got their free session. If you want to join the rest of the fiqh and the lesson, then sign in to the people. Good luck to you. Right. How do you cancel this, guys? What do you do with this? How do you, how do you cancel it? Hmm? Cancel it. Right. Okay. So, the last thing that we were uh, on, uh, <laughs> I don't want to do a review session because, to be honest, you guys have been reviewed to death. Yes? You've been really, really seriously reviewed, right? So, alhamdulillah, jazallah khair to Idris and to Zafar. They did awesome revision sessions, mashallah. I mean, really, really, really good, okay? The notes are excellent. Again, to all the students who are joining us, okay, really important. Do not... Um, uh, you got two approaches now, the new folks. You've got two ways of now... Uh, uh, well, you've got three options, really. One, carry on with the class as it is where it is. It's very straightforward, very easy to, to follow. Or number two, as some people are... Take it super seriously and go back from year one and start following the lectures and the notes and whatever. That is serious dedication for the people who are doing lots of driving. That will work. All the podcasts are there, whatever. I personally advise option two. In very, very manageable, three hours for each year, so 12 hours, you'll cover the last four years content by basically going to revision sessions and covering the revision sessions, which are an hour each, three of them per year. And then that, that way you've done all four years and it's really well done. The guys have summarized it well. PowerPoints, this, that, whatever. Bam, you're up to date. Okay? So you've got these three options. And I want you guys to make sure that you take it to that serious level. It is important. Because I know I expect people to kind of get tired and so on. But, uh, you know, uh, as a gentle kind of reminder, this is not recommended stuff. This is obligatory knowledge. Okay? Talabul ilm fariyadatun ala kul muslim. The Prophet said that to seek knowledge is a fariyada. It is an obligation upon every single Muslim. This is not something which is, you know, LP is not obligatory, okay? It should be obligatory, <laughs> but it's not obligatory, okay? But studying is. So you need to work this out from somewhere else. You need to learn this from somewhere else if you're not picking it up here, okay? Um, the guys basically said, the students basically said that they, would, would, they wanted me to uh, complete the last sentence um, that we finished year four on in June. June, can you believe that? June. How long was that? Four months? Five? <laughs> long time, you know. Right. So, for the new students here, um, are you able to do that whole uh, screen thing, Imajik? Mm-hmm. Guys, I know that the, those who are used to it, just bear with us for a few minutes so that the new students are thinking. Do you want to show them how to get a look at the notes and stuff? Can you show them on the screen or not? Yeah. Or what would you do? You'd show them your current live screen, isn't it? Yeah. The portal. Yeah. Okay, put it on, this, put it on the, the, the thingy. Whether it's here or not, as long as the people online can see. So just show them, for example, how to, or where they can put their questions. Okay, because there's a lot of people who are not, you know, who don't know how the system works. And um, for everyone who is watching, if you go to the homepage, okay, so the, 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 the dashboard, on the dashboard there's video. Is there a video there? Well, I don't think it is there. In your email, if you go to your emails, we sent an email out, okay? And it's, it's an introduction to the portal, okay? And also on the right-hand side of the portal, there's a video there that says walk through the portal or something like that. That will also show you all the functions as well. By the way, all the other students, those who have registered, we put together, Shazad and Widad Miskeen, both of them, they killed hours doing this, okay? And, I, and the only benefit so far has been me watching it and laughing my brains out. Yeah, and to be honest, it was worth it just for that. Okay, frankly, all right? It was worth it just for that. But they put a lot of effort into creating a clip series. I think 29, 30 clips. 
and the most memorable moments. So please check it out and vote for your number one. Okay, I would like you to support yani, my, my, my attempt to making Shazad's yani, coronation by the Queen to be the number one yani, moment so that we can... Yani, uh, so that we can push it everywhere and replay it and play it again and play it again. So just go and make sure you vote on that. Right. So what what are they seeing on the screen? Okay. There, okay. There's the vote. There's the voting video. And what else you can see on the screen? You can see uh, where it says resources. Okay. So when you go to the resource button, then you will see all of the lessons, everything there. Actually, I think they worked that out, Chaz. Go to the live uh, page, okay? So the live page, which is what you're watching me on now, okay, you will see that it has obviously the screen at the top. And then if you come down to the bottom, the screen then comes to the left smaller. And that way you can start getting involved. And you've got the box there that joined this discussion. You can just write in your question and comments and we can see it. And we've got a team here as well. And then the second tab is the key one, okay? Mustaqni'ah, okay? So if you look at that, you press on it. Yeah, it's there now, yeah? You can see the Arabic text that we are using as our base text, because we are using a Hanbali text, okay? A classical fiqh text, which is the base. And then every week we take a sentence and we completely take it apart. We look at it and its meaning and its application and what the scholar said about it. And so the translation is there as well. The translation is there as well. Now, this is my translation, okay? But I just want to add something. Um... One of the brothers, his name is Sheikh Musa Ferber, okay, he did an original translation to this uh, uh, text, okay, and he has now completed it, or well, he's revised it rather, before it was a little bit yani, in editing phase, and now he's released it. And um, it's, a, it's not a physical book, as far as I know, it's an e-book, okay, and I would advise everyone to get it. Uh, I mean, uh, to be honest, you're not getting anything, anything extra that you're not in this class, because you're always being given the translated notes. But what he's done, he's translated the whole thing. If you want to read ahead. If you want to study it in your own time in, a, in, a, in an e-book format. Okay? And that link, uh, Shazad uh, will put that link in the comment section. You'll see it uh, later on uh, in the next few minutes, in the next, at the end of the lesson. You'll see that link. And uh, subhanAllah, what he's done it at, uh, is that you can choose how much you want to pay for it. Okay? It's, uh, but I think that the recommended price is around four ninety nine in dollars, so it's like three, four quid or something like that. I think it's a good. I think it's a good thing. Okay, and he should be uh, uh, respected for being one of the people to first translate it. There's a final tab. Can you see a sharh al When you click on that, then you're seeing the Arabic commentary to this text for the, those who can speak read, read Arabic. Okay, and those who are learning to read Arabic, I will be using this as my base. So I will use this as part of the basis for explaining this text as well. So now you know what's going on. You can write notes as well on the left in that, and, and it will save it. Or you write notes in your own pad. And we have big plans, guys. We have big plans. This year, inshallah, we're looking to develop our portal and take it to the next level as well. And there will be a mobile application that we're looking for as well, inshallah. Huge plans. And to that extent, I don't want to repeat this too many times, but anyone who is wanting to support our project... Then there is a button at the top called Donate. And I wanted to say, subhanAllah, that we were reviewing the people who have been supporting us so far. And they have got us here, subhanAllah. They have they've been you know, constantly giving. And you know, it's only a small amount, 5-10 pounds a month, this, that, here and there. But there's a number of them, subhanAllah. They believe in this project. And, and honestly, the costs, I mean, the costs of this are quite high, but they're covering it. But this next project, we don't have enough for that to, to completely do it and take it to the next level. So anyone who's wanting to commit to this program, commit to this study, then uh, think about it. It is one of the best forms of Salah Okay, because you are supporting the spreading of knowledge. 
and everyone that learns and everyone that benefits from that, you of course will be taken into your account. There's a button at the top that you can uh, add, okay, that you can click on. Right, now, where are we in the chapter of the prayer? We are in the conditions of the prayer, pre-prayer itself, because when you think about the prayer, don't get excited and surprised, say we're jumping into the prayer and that's it. Actually, before we physically pray, you have to know when to pray, how to, how to understand the, 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 situa- the time, the situation, what's going on, the rules, etc. And so the majority of the last few months of the year four, we were talking about the timings, okay? The five timings and when they recommended and not and this and that. There's so much detail. Please go back and review it, the notes, the videos and everything. So what we are now in is in a new subsection. And that new subsection, okay, is in the Arabic. If you look at the Arabic paragra- paragraph, the Sheikh, the Mu'allif, alayhi rahmatullah, he says, وَتُدْرَكُ الصَّلَاةِ بِتَكْبِيرَةِ الْإِحْرَامِ فِي وَقْتِهَا Okay, this is the, the sentence which we are starting this, this chapter. Alright, uh, this, this subsection. What does it, uh, how does it translate as? One has caught the prayer, you come all the way down the English, one has caught the prayer if one performs the opening takbir, to say Allahu Akbar, in its time. So one has caught the prayer if one performs the opening takbir in its time. What does that mean? Okay, what does this statement actually mean? Now, basically, I'm going to put a number of scenario, scenarios to you. Okay, and, and they're mostly emergency scenarios. They're not good scenarios, they're emergency scenarios. Because we know that the deen is based upon quality and, and, and motivated practice. That when the prayer time starts, you should pray at the beginning. And you should add as much time, as much sunnah and nafal that you can. But the reality is something different. Okay, for men, the reality is always something different because of their own selves. And for women, half because of their own selves and half of, oh, because of factors they can't control. Like menstruation. Okay, so we're going to talk about menstruation in a minute as well. And of course, the menstruation section is all done. You can go back and review that as well. Uh, the entire chapter is on that. So for example, here's a person... Right, who has got home very, very late from work. Maghrib is literally minutes away. And by the time he starts taking his shoes off and put his bag down, whatever, whatnot, okay, let's say he's got wudu. Let's say he's got wudu and there's one minute left until Maghrib, okay? One day, or, or any prayer. One minute left until the sun rises for the guy who just woke up. Let's use that, it's easier, okay? He's just woken up, alarm didn't go off, he's woken up, it's looking very bright outside, legs it to the bathroom, bish, bash, bosh, comes back out, soak this, that, whatever, looks at his watch, and he can see that the sun rises at 7.30, and it's 7.29. What does this person do? What is the reality of this person? Can he catch the prayer? According to the text, what does it say? Yes. As long as he says, Allahu Akbar. Yes? Because... As long, what does the text say? If he makes the opening takbir, uh, uh, one has caught the prayer if one performs the opening takbir in the time. This is the position of the Hanbali Madhab. This is the position of Imam Ahmed. And it is the position of Imam Abu Hanifa and the Hanafi Madhab, yani as two official schools. So these are the two official school positions. Okay? Now, what did they say is their evidence? They said the evidence is. مَنْ أَدْرَكَ الْجُزْءِ فَقَدْ أَدْرَكَ الْكُلْ So whoever catches a portion or a part of something, then they've caught all of it. So as long as something is in the time, then khalas. And what is something? Well, the first possible action, which is Allahu Akbar, isn't it? Yeah, it's the first thing that you're going to do. So once you're in, you're in. And last year I gave the example, 
and it, uh, off the top of my head, and I've had more time to think about it now, okay? So it's all about sporting examples, obviously. So if you are running a race, okay, let's look at the 100 meter race, okay? And 100 meters, you don't win the race by getting all of your body over the line, صح? You win, you get the gold medal, as long as you get your anything over the line, صح? And that's why you see everyone, you know, stretching at the last second. And the race horse, yes? When the race horsing is yani, going along or whatever, whatnot, and they have the photo finish, they're ultimately looking for just someone who has got his nose over the line. The example that I gave last year was, anyone can remember? Can anyone remember the example that I gave last year? One of the great sports. One of the real great sports. Huh? No, no, no. Even greater than that. One of the great desi sports. Kabaddi. Kabaddi. You see, it's the best, <laughs> best example ever, Yara. Best example ever. In Kabaddi, alright, in order to get the point, you don't need to grab the guy and bring him over to your line, sah? All you gotta do is just touch him. And if you've touched him, then you leg it and you got the point, sah? Correct? The other side though, the other side, the defending side, if they were to touch you, would they get the point? No, they have to grab you and make sure that you don't yani, get back. So they have to get all of it. Whereas the first team that do the, you know, does he have to say kabadi, 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 kabadi? Can you not breathe? Is that true? Wrong generation. Wrong generation. You see, we're the Channel 4 generation. We used to watch that, Yara. I think that you've got to keep saying kabadi, 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 kabadi. No? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, classically, yes. So you've got to say... So he only wants to touch the guy and then run, okay? That's the Hanafis and the Hanbalis. <laughs> the Shafi'is and Imam Malik, big time, he was hardcore on this opinion. And the Shafi'i school and a, 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 a riwayah in the Hanbali school, they say that no, you've got to get a solid, solid grab of the, of, the, of the guy. They're the other side. Okay? What's their evidence? They said that the Prophet ﷺ said in the famous hadith, مَنْ أَدْرَكَ الرَّكَعَةَ فَقَدْ أَدْرَكَ الصَّلَاةَ Hadith Sahih. The Prophet ﷺ said that whoever catches the rak'ah, then he has caught the prayer. This is a very clear hadith. Very difficult to argue with this hadith. Whoever catches the rak'ah, then he is the one who's caught the prayer. What does that hadith mean then? What does that hadith then indicate therefore that? Okay, so, so to make the logical statement, therefore, the one who doesn't catch the rak'ah, then he has not caught the prayer. Otherwise, there'd be no meaning to the hadith. Sah? Right? So the hadith says that whoever catches the rak'ah, then they have caught the prayer. That's why Ibn Taymiyyah, Shaykh Al-Uthaymin, alayhi rahmatullah, as well, okay, the commentator, and probably the majority of the scholars, okay, when you look at it in terms of weighing up numbers and so on and so forth, it's always a dangerous statement when you're talking about the madhaib and the concept of majority. But the, certainly from the contemporaries, the position, which is the, uh, based upon the hadith, is clearly the stronger one and the one which is supported best yani by using the text. That you need to get the raka'ah in. So the next question should be asked, what is a raka'ah? What's a raka'ah? Yes? What do you think? We have the other hadith, of course. مَنْ أَدْرَكَ الرُّكُوَةِ فَقَدْ أَدْرَكَ الرَّكَعَةِ 
That's another hadith which we're not, we're not going to talk about now. We're going to talk about in the congregational prayer. But the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever catches the ruku'ah has caught the raka'ah. Yes? You guys know that practically whenever you come into a masjid, right? You know that I've got to make sure that I get the imam in ruku'ah so then I don't need to repeat this raka'ah again. Yes? So a person might say, okay, let me just do a little bit of yani logic here. If I can catch the ruku'ah, I've caught the raka'ah. Therefore, the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever caught the raka'ah, then he's caught the prayer. So as long as, as, long as I can make the ruku'ah, then I've caught the salah. Do you understand yani, that, that thingy? But that's not a single scholar ever said that. Because we can't apply a specific ruling of the prayer in a different one, one for the imam, okay, and the jama'ah, and apply it to the individual who's stuck at home. So according to this position, according to the majority of the scholars, according to our class position, and the position of Shaykh Uthameen, we are very clear that the hadith has to be acted by. Okay? The hadith has to be acted by, you have to complete a rak'ah before you can say, I caught the prayer. So when you come home, and you have one minute to go, you better not be aiming just to take it chilled and you know, get yourself all nice, but get your janamas out, yani, and straighten it all out, this, that, whatever, and stand on it and say, oh, no, it's not comfortable enough, and I just say, Allah Akbar, the longest Allah Akbar ever. Yes? Bro, you ain't got that time. You gotta be bang in focus to get the full rak'ah done. Does that, does, that, does that make sense now? Yeah, are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? You have to get rak'ah done. So next question, oh, well, same question, what is the rak'ah? We've said it's not Fatiha. We said it's not, sorry, Takbir al Ihram. We said that it's not yani, to just go into Ruku'ah. The Raka'ah is the entire unit. It means a whole unit. That means stand, standing, Fatiha. Surah is, yani, we're going to come to find, not something obligatory. Then going into Ruku'ah. Then coming up from Ruku'ah. Then going to Sajda. Then sitting back up. Then going to the next Sajda. And then coming back up from the next Sajda. Okay, coming back up from the next sajda, this is one rak'ah. Some scholars said you have to stand back up again. Some said that you got to stand back up again from where you started from to where you started, uh, uh, from where you started to go back to where you started from. So from standing back to standing, that's one rak'ah. But the majority of scholars and the correct position is that as long as you finish from the sajda and you have done the obligatory required from the sajda, then even getting your head up from that is not required. And that's the statement of Ibn Hajar, and it seems to fit the evidences. That as long as one has completed the sajda, then that's done. Okay? So this would be one raka'ah. So now you know it from the class position, alright? That in actual fact, yes, this is the humbly position, but our position, and following the evidence, and so on, and the majority of the scholars is that you have to actually know. The takbir is not enough, but rather you have to do one whole raka'ah, and that would mean you have to get the two sajdas done. Question you should be asking. So what on earth were the other scholars doing then? And the other madhahib doing when they saw this hadith? Did they not see this hadith? Did they not see the hadith? What do you think? Who's got some ideas? Who's got some excuses to make? Who's got some defense that they can make yani, of the Hanbali school? Yeah, and the Hanafi school. Meaning that something has abrogated it? Mm, nice, okay. Yes, possibility. Yeah, that, that could be their argument. Anyone else? Any ideas? Start thinking like yani, a faqih. How would a faqih think about this scenario? What are the possibilities? What are the, ever, what are, what are the evidences? I mean, I mean, okay. Regardless what the evidences are, we've mentioned one key evidence, right? We've said that whoever catches a little bit, then they've catched all of it, yeah? Which is a logical evidence. It's a logical evidence. So, so I say, okay, that's a good point. Thank you, sir. What about this hadith? 
So now you need to explain, either you've got to accept this hadith, or you've got to have a different answer to the hadith, isn't it? So I want you to tell me, what would you say? The Prophet ﷺ said, first of all, you look at the hadith's authenticity, isn't it? And I've told you that the hadith is authentic. I didn't see any scholar weaken the hadith, which is the first thing you would do. When you're presented with the hadith and you're on the other side, you would first of all take his hadith down. You would come put his hadith under immense pressure and say, your hadith is weak, I remain upon my position correct. Now I attack the hadith in the academic way and I find that it's authentic. So I can't explain away that it's weak. Now I have to explain the hadith. What do you think yani, the Hanafis Hanbalis could do and say? Say for example, I mean, if you say that the, the, any part of the Salah, say for example the Tafibahim, if that is the cutting Raka'ah, then we know the Hadith of Salah, okay. then that means that this cannot be only sufficient to cut Raka'ah because the Fatiha comes. Then we go to so you're, you're arguing against them, you're not arguing for them. I want you to argue for the Hanafis and Hanbalis, not against them, Yara. <laughs> I'm saying, how would the Hanafis respond? Yes. Look at the context of the Hadith. Go on. I don't know the exact story, but it has some stories. Okay, well, you know, create a story. I just, I, at the moment now, it's not about you getting the answer correct. I want you to try and put on the defensive, yani hat. Create a story. What, what, what would it be? Give me an example. How could you explain away this hadith with any story? Man adraka raka'ah, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, Whoever catches the raka'ah, then they have caught the salah. And you don't say that that was the congregation prayer? Could it be said that that's the congregational prayer and not applicable to the individual? Yeah, I guess you could. Yeah, you could say that. What would our response be? Think, as students, what would a response be? If someone said that's applying to the congregation, what would our response be? The hadith doesn't say that. And remember in the the usul, the basic principle, that when you want to specify something, who has to bring the evidence? You do. Yeah, the one who's making the claim has got to bring the evidence. When you want to specify, bring the evidence. Until you bring an evidence, it has to remain general. It has to apply to the congregation and the individual. Agreed? Okay, another... Possibility? Okay, let me help you out then. What if we were to argue that rak'ah doesn't mean rak'ah? Let's say we accept the hadith. Yeah, we say, you know, we accept the hadith as well. But you think rak'ah means the full rak'ah, but we don't believe that. And they've got more than that. They'll say, they'll point to another hadith. There is a hadith narrated by Abu Huraira, radiallahu an, and he said that the Prophet said, Man adraka sajda, faqad adraka salah. Now this is interesting. Whoever catches the sajda, then he has caught the prayer. So now what's going on? Now the other guys could turn around and say, well, that's just emphasizing our position. Because the sajda is the last part of the rak'ah, and that proves that it's not about ruku, about this, about that, but you're getting all the way to the sajda. Yeah? And so you're arguing for us. Alright? I wouldn't say that. I would question the authenticity of this statement about Abu Hurairah, okay? And it has been questioned. But then they could turn around and say something very interesting, which I really like. Even though I am in my heart clear that the majority correct position is the class position, that you need to get the rak'ah, uh, the full rak'ah. But I like the way that they think as well. They say that the proof that this does not mean the full rak'ah is the existence of the word sajda. 
And the existence of the word sajda in one narration and the word rak'ah in another narration indicates that it is not about the sajda and it's not about the rak'ah, it's about anything to do with the prayer. It's about anything to do with the prayer. And, that, and they, this is what they said. And they said, so you might say, well, why didn't he say, why didn't, he, why didn't the Prophet ﷺ say, Man adraka salah, or man adraka juz, uh, 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 juz salah, faqad adraka salah. Why didn't he say that then? We would say, if you're following your argument, that as long as you catch something from the prayer, then you've caught all the prayer. Why didn't he say that? The Hanafis and Hanbalis would turn around and say, well, why did the Prophet ﷺ say, Al-Hajju Arafah? Why did he not say Al-Hajju Arafah, wa Muzdalifah, wa Sa'i, wa Tawaf? Why didn't he say that then? Why didn't he? The Prophet ﷺ said Al-Hajju Arafah to emphasize Arafah. The Prophet ﷺ said Arafah because that is the most obvious thing that you see in your mind and emotionally you connect to. And this is something which is yani, clear. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَرَكَعُوا مَا Okay? Make ruku ma'arraka'in. Does that mean just make ruku? It means salah. It means salah, isn't it? It means pray with the people who pray. It doesn't mean make ruku with the people who are making ruku. Even though linguistically that's what warka ma'arraka'in means. But the ruku, when we hear ruku, okay, when we hear ruku or see ruku, for us it's representative of the prayer. Does that make sense? Yes? If someone says that, I just want to make sajjah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Most of the time, it doesn't mean that this guy is going to go into sajda sahum or sajda til shukr. Yeah? I'm making a prostration of thankfulness or just yani, make a sajda. Normally, it means that when I go and yani, make a sajda, then I'm going to go and pray. The, the hadith of Bilal, you know the famous hadith of Bilal? Where the Prophet had Bilal? Fasa'idni bi kathbit al-sujood? Hadith Bilal? The Prophet subhanAllah, I forgot in the companion. I can't believe I've forgotten the companion. But anyway, the Prophet Sallallahu he said, he said, he said, I want to be with you, yani in Jannah. Okay, it's not Hadith Bilal. It's not Bilal. It's not Bilal. But I can't, I can't, who last me who the companion was. I want to be with you in Jannah, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet Sallallahu said, well, help me with lots of sujood. So help me to help you achieve that. Help me to help you achieve that by doing lots of sajda. What does that mean? Just do lots of sajda? What does it mean? What kind of salah? Nawafil. Nawafil. Yani it is completely agreed upon by all the scholars that this sujood has a meaning which is completely removed from the linguistic and actual meaning. Doesn't mean sajda. Doesn't mean ruku'ah. Doesn't mean prostration of any of the four or five types. Doesn't mean even the prayer or obligatory prayer. It means sunan prayers. Extra Yani prayers, not the obligatory prayers. It means sunnah, mu'akkadat, ghair mu'akkadat, nawafil, help me. So what have I just proven to you? That the prayer is often called things other than salah. Does that make sense? Okay? And that's their argument, basically. And I just wanted to put that to you so that you understand and respect that. Because it's very important for us to respect the scholars and differences of opinion. No imam makes a, position, makes a call without him having some kind of reasoning. We can't always have the opportunity to cover those reasonings when we are, are covering the, the, the class. But here it's a nice one. Okay? However, despite all of that, despite all of those explanations, the nos is very clear. The hadith is very, very clear. And that's why the majority of the scholars went with it. And that's why the class position is that man adraka raka'ah 
فَقَدْ أَدْرَكَ الصَّلَاةِ It is not sufficient just to make takbir to end the time for the prayer to be caught. You have to go for the prayer itself. Now, I, the, 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 the one full unit at least. And what would then happen then if you were that person? You would then finish your prayer as per normal. Question, would you, even now you're in Asr time, or even now you're in Maghrib time, praying the other three units, yeah? Of the, of the prayer that you weren't able to completely do all four rakayin. Do you make those really quick? What do you think? So you've come home, okay? And it's Asr time. And you haven't prayed Zuhr. You've got one minute. And you quickly do two rakah. Uh, sorry, you quickly get your rakah done. One full rakah and now you're standing. Now the Zuhr time, uh, time is gone. And Asr time is in. How should be, what should be your behavior now for the next three units? The majority will not be yani, in that scenario because no one will pray the jama'ah so immediately. Yeah. So let's just talk about a person who's at home who's in that situation. Then it will be nice and slowly. Nice and slowly. Because the, he's already caught the rakah. Correct. Nice and slowly and full. Just because yani, you've had a, a horrible first rakah, Terrible one, frankly. It was all over the place. Didn't recite surah. Didn't know what was going on. Yeah, okay. Doesn't mean now you destroy the whole thing. You make a recovery in the other three, and you pray with sakina wal waqar, yani easy and yani respect for the prayer. Okay, so that's a very important point. Uh, from a menstruation point of view, I just wanna just wanna mention just one thing um, that the. Uh, what do I want to say about the... Uh, you know that the Sheikh is very strict on the issue of menstruation. Yes? And he said something which I really want to make clear. I do not, uh, I do not follow. And I believe... And I've already told you that the class position is something different. Sheikh's position is that if a person... Okay? Um... So this is uh, everything that I've explained so far is about a person who's on a last minute, just woken up, yani for fajr, etc., etc. You know, last second job, last second job. What you got to pray? Uh, the cl- what you've learned from this class today is that you've got to pray one rakah. You can't just do Allah Akbar. That's fine. Now let's look at women issues at the beginning of the prayer time. So we're going to take Zuhr as the example. Zuhr starts at one o'clock, and it finishes at four, for example. Okay, at one o'clock. The Hanbalis, they would say that at 1.01, for example, just enough time for a takbir to have happened, yes? If a woman was pure and then she started menstruating, yeah, you with me? At 1.01, only enough time for Allahu Akbar to have occurred, she has to make up that prayer after the menstruation is done. After the period is done, and she becomes pure again, she has to make up the zuhr prayer qada. Qada zuhr prayer. Make sense? Why? Because they said that the prayer is achieved with just takbir to ihram And as long as there was enough time to make takbir, you should have prayed. And prayed here does not mean you have enough time to pray the whole prayer, but just the minimum amount that's required to establish the prayer, which the Hanbalis and the Hanafis say is the uh, uh, takbir only. The other opinion, Sheikh Uthaymeen, he says something which is different, as you can guess, but for me it's just as bad. He says that no, 
Our position is that you've got to pray one raka'ah. Okay? And that praying of one raka'ah might be, for example, three minutes. So, if there was a woman who, between 1 and 103, and we assume that it takes three minutes to pray proper raka'ah, they will say that if there was a woman at 103 who had not prayed, then she also has to make then that and then she be, and then she her, her cycle comes, then she also is held accountable for dhuhr because she had three minutes to pray at least one rakah, and therefore afterwards she has to make it up. Does that make sense? Everyone, does that make sense? What's my class position? Why do we not have to? Why do we not have to? You still got time to pray. There's no evidence that forces the woman to have to pray at 101 or 102. The prayer is three hours long. The prayer for Dhuhr is up until uh, Asr. Why are you putting the situation upon this woman that she has to actually pray at the beginning? No. She needs time for everything else. She's allowed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to pray that prayer at 2 o'clock and 2.30. So, and there are a few scholars who held this opinion. Not yani, uh, the majority position. And it certainly wasn't the position favored by the madahib. But I have no doubt about this position. It's the class position. There is no evidence whatsoever from the Quran and Sunnah to obligate upon a woman that she has to pray and make up that prayer just because she was in the time. No. I'll tell you when it is obligatory. When there is one raka'ah left at the end of that time. Yes? So now imagine that 4 o'clock comes and it's 3.57 and she has not prayed until 3.57 saying to herself that I will pray because I've got 3 minutes left to at least pray one raka'ah. Does that make sense? Yeah? She's not only is she I'm going to make her pray again. Not only is she getting bad. Oh, bad again. Yeah, don't give me trouble yet. Okay. <laughs> but she is from the people of Nifaq. The Prophet ﷺ, of course, in the hadith Sahih. Okay. In the hadith Abdullah ibn Umar. Not just the women. Don't get me misquoted. This is for everyone. They said that the Munafiq. Sahih Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ said that the Munafiq is the one who watches the sun go down and down from Asr till Maghrib. He goes, I'll pray it soon, I'll pray it soon, I'll pray it soon. And then the sun is coming down, 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 down. And then basically he realizes, man, Maghrib is really close. Faqam, and he stands up and he quickly pecks for. Yani pecks for. Yani, he literally, the sajda is like a bird pecking. Tak, 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 tak. And yani, you know, just knocks it out. This is, yani, the munafiq. Tilka al-munafiq. Tilka al-munafiq, the Prophet ﷺ said. Indeed, that person's a hypocrite. Indeed, that person's the hypocrite. So it's very sinful to delay the prayer without legal excuse. Honestly, people deserve beats for doing that. Many people do that. Honestly. People have got to really respect the, the fact that the prayer is of course better in the beginning time, but it's not permissible to delay. And so if a person was delaying, that they thought that intentionally I'm going to delay the prayer so that I only have time, which is even worse by the way, I'm, I'm, yani at least the munafiq is better that he intends to pray four raka'ah within the time. A person who delays it till three minutes is saying that intentionally I only want to pray one raka'ah and three out of the time and I've caught the prayer legally anyway. What is that? What is that? That's beats, isn't it? Yeah? So in this scenario, that's one exception where the woman who's menstruating should be having to make up that prayer again. Uh, uh, pray, make up that prayer afterwards when she's pure again. Okay, everybody? And that pretty much completes all of the, 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 the issues that is related to this point. Okay, and it's our final point as well. Is there anything that anyone wants to ask about this particular issue before we then move into the uh, next sentence next week, inshallah? Yes. No. It is opinion of virtually no one. 
but we don't care about that. Yes, if you woke up late for Fajr, yeah. And you rush that first rakah. And you rush that first rakah. So that your second rakah is at sunrise. So that your second rakah is now when the sun is rising and the time of kufr and only the pagans worship at this time. Let me just help you with a bit of emotion. It's not sinful. It's a correct prayer. And you pray properly. And you don't need to worry about any of the yeah, any ramifications of... Uh, what people might think or say, whatever. That's very important. Yes? Um, I've heard that some people say that it's okay to pray during that prayer time because it's technically Qadr Yes, that is correct. This is the flagship. Sorry, this is the... This is the... What's, no, not the flagship. This is the... This is one of the defining features of the Hanafi school. Okay? And it's also my opinion as well, but we don't want to talk about it too much now because it's a bit controversial opinion. But the Hanafi school will say that when it comes to certain prayers, uh, in particular the Fajr prayer, okay, Wallah, I love the Hanafi madhab to be honest. It's a Sikh madhab. Wallah, it is. It's a madhab of the future. I'm telling you. You know what they said? They said that the Hanafi... <laughs> they said that the person who has missed Fajr now, so they didn't even get in time to pray before sunrise and the sun has now started to rise, that they should pray. That they should pray. That's their fatwa. That's al-muftabihi in the, uh, according to the, 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 the Hanafi school. And it's not just the Hanafis, actually a few, a few scholars said that. Okay? Now that's, why is that interesting? Because the Prophet ﷺ specifically, specifically prohibited prayer during sunrise. Carry on. During the... Okay? There's, when the zenith is at its absolute thingy, the zawal time. And third, the sunset itself, ghurub shams. Okay? So when it's actually going down, 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 these are the times of shaitan. Okay? The sun is going and up and down between the horns of shaitan. Okay? This is pagan time. This is what the pagans do. For them, you know, the sun is their god. For them, it's the great moments of the day, the appearance of the sun, the strength and the intense heat and height of the sun. And then the disappearance of their son. They are very dramatic moments, even if you don't believe in paganism. Just from the, the, the beauty of the day, they are defining moments in the day. And so the Prophet ﷺ recognizes that we do not want to be defined by the defining moments of the day or by the pagans. That's why our prayer ends well before. That's why we don't pray at all in that period when the sun is high. And that's why we're not allowed to pray even close, even close to when the sun is setting. Because we've got two times for the Asr prayer, isn't it? We covered it last year. Go back and revise. The recommended time, which is in the first portion of Asr. And then in the last hour of, of Asr, it is makru to pray without a reason. Yeah, It's not right to pray. It is a time of necessity only. So I just want you to know that at the moment, Maghrib is what? Quarter to six? What is it? Quarter to six? 5.50? Yeah. So... To pray intentionally at 5 o'clock is unacceptable. Intentionally. The only person who should be praying at 5 o'clock is someone who couldn't pray at half past 4. Couldn't. For whatever reason he's got. But the 5 o'clock prayer is valid and the 5.15 is valid and the 5.30 is valid. But you are in a very disliked moment. It is not allowed to delay the prayer without reason. And the one who delays it more and more, then you get to that 10 minute period before 
Yani, so if 5.45 is Maghrib, then we know that the, the, the setting of the sun, the Ghurub or Shams, is not 5.45. 5.45 is not the prohibited time to pray. It's 5.35 to 5.45. As we've shown in our diagrams, you go back and see, it's when the sun is then starting to set. That is the haram time to pray Asr. However, if a person does get there at that time, before Maghrib is in, that one raka'ah, it will be valid. It will be valid. Okay? Point, what was I answering? Oh, the Hanafis. What the Hanafis said is that even if you get into the haram time, you continue the prayer. In the sunrise example, you continue the prayer. You might say, what's the evidence? To be honest, they don't have an evidence. They don't have an evidence. But they said something which I find very interesting. They said that there are certain prayers that people do and people don't do. That are more socially difficult upon people and others which are easy. Yeah? The Maghrib prayer is a very easy prayer. You've got to be a right dog, Yanni, not to pray Maghrib. That's my, that's, my, that's my fatwa. People who don't pray Maghrib, they're dogs, I tell you. Because, Yanni, what is your excuse not to pray Maghrib? Yanni, what, you missed it? You didn't see it happen? Yanni, you were asleep? Yanni, what's your excuse, Yanni? You, you, you understand what I'm trying to say? They're the worst people, subhanAllah. They're the worst people. People who inter- intentionally, of course, don't yani, get me in trouble. Yeah? The one who intentionally doesn't pray Maghrib. That's a real awuzu billah. Now, Fajr, it is haram. Person does it intentionally. It's an act of kufar. But you can understand what's happening in it. The guy's asleep. He's knocked out. All day he worked. He missed the alarm. He did that, whatever. Waking up is difficult. We get the idea. It's not allowed, of course, to miss it. And the Hanafis, they're like, they're saying, you know what? Can you imagine? This is what they said. They said, can you imagine a person who, he's not like in with his prayer anyway, right? He's not regular upon his prayer. Then the guy wakes up and he says to himself, you know, oh, there's just about time to to make Fajr or whatever. And he makes his wudu and the time is now gone. Okay? And then he goes, our time's gone now. Sack this and I might as well go back to bed. Yeah? Khalas, time's gone. Or he looks at his watch and you know, time's gone. He's in bed still and it's like, you know, uh, 7.30 is sunrise and he looks at his watch and it's 7.28. He goes, but it's gone anyway, isn't it? So khalas. Yeah? And they, and they said that so psychologically, psychologically, we want this person to not lose a connection with the concept of Fajr. And that we will push the people to do Fajr even at a time where it is sinful. Because there's two things here. There's concept of sin and the concept of legal fulfillment. Is a prayer that's prayed during sunrise, the act of sunrise, what is the state of that prayer? What's the status of that prayer? It's a valid prayer, but it's sinful. Meaning that you've sinned for praying at a haram time, but you do not need to repeat the prayer because the prayer itself is valid. That there's difference of opinion over this issue, but that's the class position. Yeah? And a lot of scholars discuss this and back and forth. But the prayer itself is valid, but it's sinful because you prayed it at a time where the Prophet ﷺ said, do not pray. Others said that no, actually the, even the validity is gone. The Hanafis are taking the other opinion. They said the prayer is valid, doesn't need to be repeated. And, but they're not saying this as widespread, by the way. And that's why I said I'm not, this is not the point. We're not promoting it, but I'm just 
making you understand what they're thinking. They're saying that, you know what, more people that we get in touch, then at least he, feel, he feels that I got it or I did it. And tomorrow then he goes for it again, but hopefully at an earlier time. And it makes a better effort out of it. So there's some sense to it. Yeah, I think some sense. Yes. You're saying they considered that people struggle with or they just hold the... Yeah, if you read the full, if you read the full kind of explanation, it's clear that they don't want to put this out to the public, but they're kind of like, it's almost like advice for the imams, yani part of the training of the mufti, is that if a person, and this is what I'm trying to explain to you guys here, is that part of your studies is that when someone comes to you, it's not a black and white matter, and look at the person's state. And if you were to come across a person, for example, who doesn't pray, or doesn't pray at all, or doesn't, or struggles with a particular prayer, and so on and so forth, there would be a difference in attitude to that person as you would to me, for example, or someone else who, you know, it would be fadiha for me to be accepting this opinion. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I should be, criti- like me, I should be criticized and embarrassed if I'm not in this masjid for fajr. You should do that openly. And there's no shame in that. Okay? But some other guy, you shouldn't be. Because we don't know how he is, we don't know what his situation is, we don't know where he lives, we don't know whether... If he's praying by himself at home, we're happy with that, and then once we get to know him, then we start telling him about coming to the masjid, etc., etc. But me, I can't be judged on that level. And there's other people there, and I'm not... So I know that there is a very murky kind of yani gray area between and I'm very much aware of that and that's why I said this is information for the hands of the mufti this is two separate things Go on. first of all they 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 prioritizing uh, the fall the prioritizing the Allah. that's the legal side but now of the person who's woken up and praying so they're saying that you know it's it's important that you do your qala but they they they're supporting they're not even treating it as qala Sorry if I didn't explain that point. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Correct, correct. They're not treating it as qada. So that's part of the straight away. We know that anyway, right? But the idea here is this. That a practicing person, in the game proper, when he wakes up and he's now in a haram time, what's he meant to do? No, no. I mean, he's meant to wait, isn't he? Yeah, I'm talking far. Yeah, no, no, of course it is because he hasn't prayed, has he? He's just woken up. Yeah, so let's just play that scenario out. Let's talk about a practicing person who, by mistake, he's missed his alarm. He wakes up, okay? We know that normative scenario where every time he wakes up, he should pray, correct? We covered that, didn't we? And that prayer, according to him, is fully valid. So? Now imagine he wakes up in sunrise. To this guy here, what do we say? The practicing one. Yeah, you wait for the sun to get up. That's what we say. That's what the, the position for the mass majority of scholars. He's got to pray, but at this moment right now, the sun is rising. It's a haram time. What did the Hanafi say? The Hanafi said that, you know what? Let him pray at this time. Let him pray at this time. He, he, uh, uh, we don't want to lose the guy. We don't want to give him the waswas to go back to sleep. This is what's interesting. is You're saying basically there's two components. One is the legal side, uh-huh. which we know. Yep. One is that if you're given a fatwa, you're not just regurgitating the legal side. 
Correct, correct. Fatwa is not based upon the law per se. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We've always said that. Fatwa and fiqh are completely different. Completely different. So anyway, that's what I wanted to... Yani, I know that I, maybe I've confused folks, but it's a nice point. Last point. Uh, sorry, yes. Sir. So, so on, on that point then, um, you mentioned the, the advantage there of having that position in the Hanafis, yeah? You want to help this person keep the connection the rest of it. What about the, the converse of that? What kind of message is that sending to people? They're saying, you know what? If you pray this time, it's as, as valid as praying it before. Absolutely not, yeah. because absolutely that message is not going out. Abs- yani, that's why... This, that's why you've not heard this before. Put it that way. Have you heard it before? No, no. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, you will not go to a masjid and the Hanafi Imam will tell you that. And neither should he. Right. But for fatwa, when an individual goes up to a person and says, I had a problem, this, that, whatever, whatnot, me telling you something specifically to help you out, which is not something I would normally, something very different. Right. Yes. Say. Just coming back to the point you mentioned, the need of Hajj Zarafah. Yes. Okay. Um, not know the other uh, components of that. If a person doesn't do the other components, but he manages to, to get to Arafah, is Hajj still valid? No. I think according to the Hajj. Not, not according to any method, because there are more than one rukan for Hajj. So, yes, the Hajj Arafah emphasizes the importance of Arafah, but it doesn't make it the one and only rukan pillar from the other pillars of Hajj that one needs to do. So for example, according to the Ahnaf, Tawaf is a Rukan. So it's not possible to do the Hajj without making Tawaf. So that's not correct, no. The, the Hadith here is purely emphasizing the spiritual, the magnificent day that is Arafah. And this is a way of the Prophet ﷺ language where he would say, Al-Hajj Arafah, it's like Arafah, it's like it's Hajj. It's like, you know, person. it's also an emotional statement, like, Yani, how can a person consider to have even done Hajj if he hasn't done Arafah? If that person is ill in hospital, but he's dead, he's dragged to Arafah, he needs to say that he has Yes, or if he's unconscious out of Arafah and he's taken to Arafah, yes, then he would have fulfilled that rukan, but he'd still need to be taken around the thawah to do thawah. Mm-hmm. He can't, yani, otherwise it's not, it's not done. Okay, guys. I think that's it. Jazakumullahu khaira. Anything that we need to say or mention or anything like that? Uh, huh? Oh, yeah. I want to say that uh, uh, obviously well done to the thing. Yeah, I, I haven't got my, uh, my list here. But next week, inshallah, we'll do that. There is a special prize, by the way. I was going to say that there, there should be prizes. And I will be setting up prizes next year. Not next year. I've got to work out how I'm setting up prizes for the exam results. But I can tell you that there is a special prize that I do want to give out today, okay? And this prize is going to be first dibs at the chocolates, okay? Right? So it's obviously not a very big prize, but I think it's very, it's very special in meaning. This is the prize for the greatest possible gap between a man and his wife in the exam results. <laughs> I want to say that the winner of this prize, mashallah, is Dr. Uthman Ashraf, okay? Haji Sabah, who's sitting in front of us, the Amir of Manchester and Maghrib, who, mashallah, 
he swept the board actually when it comes to this prize. Him and Baji, okay, I think there was such a gap between his results and Baji's results that he just, yeah, did, no one else even had a chance, like 50 percentage points or something like that. So I think that Usman yani, is a worthy winner. We need to congratulate Baji, of course, for uh, doing so good in the exam. But we also congratulate her husband for being so yani, exactly the opposite. And we will give you Ferrero Roche first dibs. I want to say a big shout out to all of half my Hajj group is all here as well. So it's always nice. I see Aisha there, I see Muhammad, I can see Usman, and I can see everyone here. So, you know, it's good to see you guys as well. And uh, Duds as well, mashallah, all the way from Wales. He's going to be coming here soon, bro. Cheat is a place to be, you know it. And um, uh, the final thing that I was going to say is that Birmingham, yes, for those who are in Ireland, I'll be do- doing Piopesa this weekend, okay, in Ireland uh, at the Hilton to make sure you're there Friday evening. And the big one is, is uh, next weekend and the weekend after the Fiqh of Salah, all of it uh, in two weekends. So if you're in Birmingham or if you're in surrounding areas, uh, it's not going to come back to Birmingham or London for at least another six years. Okay, that's the gap between fiqh of salah. All right, so if you're in any other area, then get yourself to Birmingham next week, inshallah, for fiqh of salah. Jazakumullahu khaira. Wa subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadu an la ilaha illa anta wa astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu ilaykum. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.